Our scripture reading is found this morning in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. We've made it to the point. Uh, we're considering the second commandment that the Lord is teaching his disciples that their righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And in so doing, he's showing how he has fulfilled and is interpreting for them the original intent and the real meaning of each commandment. Last time we had a couple of weeks where we looked at the commandment, thou shalt not kill. And this time we're looking at the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And the reading is only two verses there in chapter 5 in verse 31. Hear now the word of the Lord. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Continuing now the reading of the word, familiar words to you, I'm sure. Genesis chapter 1, the creation. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with the flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. When our Lord comes to talk about divorce, and in the passage just prior to this, he talks about adultery. And these are ways in which, not the totality, but predominant ways in which we violate the commandment of God. The commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And adultery is an interesting word. It's not transliterated out of the Greek. It's a different word in the Greek. But the translated word is pretty consistent, and it's an English word. And it comes from two Latin words. Adultery, 
ad alt tere. If you think of it that way. Ad means to or toward. Alt, U-L-T, means another, an alternate, someone or something else other than the one. And so when we commit adultery, what we're doing is we're going to or toward the other. How is adultery committed? Well, you heard the story of how the Lord put together the first pair. First, taking them out of one flesh, making of them two distinct and wonderful persons, male and female in this process, male and female for sure, male and female only, and brought them together. Where did Adam get his wife? The Lord brought her to him. Where does any godly man get his wife? The Lord brings her to him. It's a wonderful and a mysterious thing. What happens if a man does not get the wife that the Lord brings to him or is going to bring to him? Well, what it really amounts to is the man has gone to or toward another, not the woman of God's choosing. Marriage is a whole lot more serious than we think it is. And we can look in our culture and we can look at the cultures of other countries and we can look at history and we can see that marriage is one of the most sacred things that has been most abused. And the Bible is full from the very beginning to the end with this notion of God putting together something that man is not to put asunder. And that something is a unique union. One flesh. And it's so important that God intends for that union, that one flesh union, to be something that signifies the greatest thing you can possibly imagine. And that is, it signifies Christ and his body. That which was taken from his flesh and blood and bones. And that is a bride. In Ephesians, Paul says that the real picture of what marriage is all about is a bit mysterious. Paul has several things that are the mysterion, the, mystery, the mysterious, that which we cannot really explain. And there's several of them mentioned in Scripture. One of them is the mystery of this union, this mysterious but vital union of Christ and His body, His church. Lest I forget, I'm going to give you a homework assignment mainly because I don't have time to deal with it this morning, but more importantly, you need to be familiar with these two passages if you're not. Most of you probably are, but I'm going to give you two passages and they will preach the sermon. I've been wrestling half the night with whether or not to just read these two passages and let that preach the sermon, but I thought, well, I'll give you a homework assignment, then I'll deal with the text. That's kind of my job. I have to, they put a text in front of me. It comes from somewhere over there. 
and uh, it shows up on my computer about Wednesday or Thursday, and then I know it's time to preach on that text. So I'm going to do that. But let me give you a homework assignment. I want to see pen and pencil. I want to see you writing down the homework assignment, because I really mean for you to read this. The first thing I want you to read is Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16 is one of the longest chapters in the Bible, 63 verses. It's not a saga, but it will seem like a saga. But it's a story, and it is a beautiful story. Now, I'd love for you to read it more than once, because it's a story, and I'm going to give away the plot line because it's going to be rich, even if you know what's happening. The plot line is this. The Lord takes a bride. And this is how the Lord takes a bride. He finds a little girl, a baby girl, out in the wilderness, hungry, filthy, naked, abused, and abandoned. He takes that little baby girl and brings her to himself and cleans her and washes her and heals her and raises her up and nurtures her. So that as she grows, she grows into something stunningly beautiful. And there's a vivid description of just how beautiful she is. She is a very, very attractive, gorgeous young lady. And he takes her and raises her in a royal court and makes out of her a veritable princess. And then one day he marries her, which this is your second assignment, by the way, and that's Psalm 45. You've got to read the story in Ezekiel 16, but then I want you to read the Psalm number 45. Psalm 45. Psalm 45 is the, the psalm that is read or the song that is sung. It's the, it's the whole, and it too is a very long psalm actually, and it talks about the marriage ceremony, the wedding of the royal prince to his bride, his princess. It's a royal wedding psalm and it is nothing but the description of Christ taking his bride the church and that too is very vivid in its description of how beautiful the church is how beautiful the bride is and how she's adorned and how she's been blessed with so many things and uh, you'll read there when you read that you'll be reading the gospel you'll be reading the gospel You'll be reading about the victorious king with his bride that is presented to him. Now back to the story of the young woman. She is married then to the king. And so far we've had a high point in the story. But then what does she do? In the midst of all of her pleasure and splendor and joy and regal beauty, she becomes a prostitute. She goes after other men. And there's a description there that I'm going to ask you to be over 18 to read it. Unless your parents give you permission. Because it will talk about the most decadent and the most vile features of whoredoms, harlotry, and prostitution. This lovely bride goes into harlotry. Now, the Lord in the Old Testament gave an example of some of this truth when he ordered Hosea to marry a woman of harlotry, Gomer. And you can read the story there, and it's a story of how God deals with his adulterous people. 
But anyway, the woman goes into horrible, horrible sin. And all the curses and all the threats that befall her, because an adulterous woman, according to Old Testament law, is to be stoned. That's why, why, by the way, in the Old Testament, they would give a writ of divorcement, which is mentioned in our text, a certificate of divorcement, because that certificate of divorcement that a man would issue when he wanted to get rid of his wife, for whatever reason, if he wanted to get rid of his wife, he would have to give her a certificate of divorcement, which was a certification that she was not a harlot, that she had not committed adultery, that she had not committed fornication, and that she had, had not done something worth, because if she had, she would be stoned. He wouldn't be writing out a, a, a divorce certificate. He'd be picking up a stone with the elders of the congregation. They'd be stoning her. Instead, that certificate showed to the world that she had not committed adultery, she had not done anything, and therefore she was free from her husband out from under his yoke. It was really a, a grace and a mercy upon the woman. She wasn't just cast out. And if you, want to, if you want to know some stories in the Bible about divorce and cast out, one of the things you need to read is the story of Abraham. When Abraham had taken a wife and then he took on his wife's advice, by the way, another woman, Hagar. And there came a time when they had to cast out the bondwoman, the slave girl, who had borne a wonderful young man, Ishmael, whom Abraham loved dearly and felt like for a long time that Ishmael was the fulfillment of the promise. But all the tension and all of the agony and all of the emotion that's involved in casting out the bondwoman and seeing that particular story. There's another story in the Bible about somebody that had to wrestle with divorce. Joseph, when he found out that his virgin betrothed, Mary, was with child, what options does he have? Turn her over and let her be stoned? He loved her. He did not want that to happen. And so he was going to put her away, divorce her. But he's going to do it quietly so that there wouldn't be any scandal and there would really it would protect her. In fact, more than likely, she was going to be needing to leave the whole area. She did for a while. She went to her cousin Elizabeth's house. He had to wrestle with that. And by the way, I think you know the end of that story. It took an angel of the Lord to appear to Joseph to convince him that God was at work. I think if that happened to me, it'd take an angel of the Lord to come and convince me too. Because with a pregnant fiancé, and you know you have not been with her, what else are you going to conclude? So this idea of divorcing and putting away a wife is a, it, it, it is a, a vital thing in Scripture. Because what it's doing is it's something that is taking away from what God had intended in the original ideal. The original ideal is one man... One woman, one flesh for one lifetime. That's God's ideal. That's what God had in mind when he brought Eve to Adam. And so how do you see the story finishing? God does not stone the young harlot. Instead, he takes her back. He washes her cleanses her, regenerates her actually, starts all over, restores her 
to her original beauty and takes her for a wife. And the last portion of that Ezekiel 16 saga is the purest gospel you'll ever read in the pages of your Bible about the redeeming work of God because God saw marriage as a covenant and he was determined to keep his covenant. And no matter what she had done, God was faithful. A couple of big words in the Old Testament. One of them is bereath, talks about a covenant. Another one is hesed, faithfulness to that covenant. And God makes a covenant and he keeps a covenant. And when God covenanted with his people that he would save them, even though they went into harlotry and they became an adulterous generation, there was a lot of discipline involved, a lot of heartache, a lot of suffering, all that that goes with sin. The way of the transgressor is hard. The soul that sins shall die. Be sure your sin will find you out. Those are scripture quotations, by the way. That's just not Ron's opinion. The Lord loves that he brings back. And if you don't have a tear in your heart, if not in your eye, when you finish reading Ezekiel 16, then you either are a pretty tough person or you haven't understood the gospel yet. That's your assignment, is to read that. It'll tell the story. But just in the moment we have here, let's just go ahead and take a look at this passage. And the best place to flesh this out is where the Lord does. The Lord fleshes it out a little later. I'm glad he does because these two little short verses here uh, don't tell us a whole lot, does it? But against what we've been talking about in 19 of Matthew, and by the way, the same uh, uh, material shows up in Mark uh, 10, and then the verse that we just quoted, this Sermon on the Mount uh, quotation, occurs again, and you'll find it in Luke chapter 16. So it's in the... It's in the uh, synoptic gospels, but listen to the story here. And Pharisees came to Jesus and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Did, did, did you catch it? <laughs> it didn't say, is it lawful to divorce your wife? It's just for any old cause. Because they, they had gotten to where that's what they were doing. It was pretty easy for them to just anything that displeased a man, he was able to put aside his wife. And the civil law that Moses gave allowed for it. And Jesus mentions that. And so because the civil law allowed for it, they thought the law of God promoted it. And I'm here to tell you, if you haven't figured it out already, the civil law and the moral law of God are not necessarily identical in almost every point but that's the question they were going to trap him and so he answered have you not read that he who created them from the beginning so he takes them right back to Genesis where we just just came from said have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh so Jesus is now going to teach these men the one flesh principle of what marriage is really all about. So that they are no longer one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Then they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Did you hear these guys? Nowhere in there 
Deuteronomy 24 is where you'll find the, the, the writ of divorcement explained. There's nowhere in there where Moses commanded them to put their wives away and write up a certificate of divorce. In fact, the writing of a certificate of divorce was kind of a caution because there was very little written material back in those days and there weren't very many people that could read and write. But there was a class that could, and that was the Levite. In order to get, in order to get a certificate of divorcement, a bill of divorcement, you had to go to a Levite, a priest. And in the process, there's counsel, there's teaching, there's warning. There is the kind of thing that needs to go into consideration when you consider something such as putting away a wife. And even then, if the divorce bill is written, it has an effect. And it, what it does, it frees her from you. It frees you from her. But what it does, if it goes wrong in any way, if she uh, takes another husband, and it's all spelled out there in Deuteronomy 24, if anything happens that, that can cause it to be something less than chaste, it's a violation of the commandment, I shall not commit adultery. Jesus says, the man that gives his wife a bill of divorcement, thus setting her free, taking her out for under protection, causing her to be potentially united to someone else after they are one flesh. He's violating the one flesh concept just in the bill of divorcement and he commits adultery. And a man who comes along and marries a woman who has a bill of divorce and is divorced from another man and that one flesh has been torn apart. He comes in and unites with her in marriage. He commits adultery. You see how high the standard is all of a sudden? And that's where the Lord puts it. That's where the Lord leaves it. That's where he wants it to stay. Now, as I close, let me just say this. What about today's divorce as compared to biblical divorce? Well, I urge you to do a careful study of compare and contrast. But I'll say this to you. If you're in a divorce or you've had a divorce or you've been divorced or you're married again, ask yourself the question. I'm not telling you anything I'm asking you to ask yourself did I commit adultery did I commit a sin in that process and bear your heart before the Lord and ask yourself did I violate one of the commandments and you answer according to your conscience but I'll tell you what my conscience tells me that yes I did if I did that and I violated that Seventh and sacred commandment. Well, what do you do about that? Well, I hope you catch on before we're done with the Sermon on the Mount that you will, will have violated every commandment. That's just the way you violated that one. We've all violated every commandment, and every commandment carries within it a death sentence. So you're under a condemnation. You're under the condemnation of sin. You're under the condemnation of death. What do you think the gospel is? It's how Christ came and took that condemnation in himself, bore the full brunt of the wrath of God for that sin. And now he issues to you carte blanche and free forgiveness, pardon, justification, acquittal, Removing that sin as far as the east is from the west, plunging it in the depth of the sea and remembering it against you no more. If you have someone that's broken the commandment, the seventh commandment in any way, including divorce, forgiveness in Christ is yours. 
Seize it. Hold it. It will save your soul. 